I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, and I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, call upon you now and pray that you would quite literally stand in the midst of this room, in the midst of this people now. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, cause your word to go forth with power, such a way that it doesn't come back empty. Each one of us, wherever we're at, whatever we're bringing into the room this morning, whatever joys, whatever sorrows, um, whatever distractions, uh, whatever longing for the word of God, meet us now, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Are we okay with the microphones? I heard this one. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Um, so on the first page of the, uh, what do we call these? Booklet? Your booklet? I'm still learning my way around here. There's a little quote from C.S. Lewis from a book that he wrote called The Four Loves, which Chris commanded me to read <laughs> this week. Some of you were wondering about that. and Yeah. Anyway, I'm just going to start with it. We could read that. To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. I think that's actually true. Um, most of us have a lot of friends on Facebook, right? I don't have any, but that's another conversation. But we, 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 you know, we, have the, we, we talk about friendship. Talk about having, having BFFs. We talk about, um, you know, I'm going to friend you on Facebook or shockingly maybe unfriend someone on Facebook, right? Um, but actually, real rich, deep friendship is pretty rare today. Maybe it's always been rare, but it's especially rare today. Um, part of it, I think, is that um, relationships in general, everything is becoming so eroticized, okay? so sexualized. So that if you, if you read a story like we read snippets of from this morning about David and Jonathan, and you're a progressive biblical scholar somewhere, and you hear about this intimate, strong love between two men, what does it have to be? Obviously, it must be a homosexual relationship. Must be, because that's the only category that we have for understanding relational intimacy between two people. It must be sexual. Okay? Well, actually, it's not. <laughs> 
It wasn't with David and Jonathan, and it doesn't have to be for us. A couple weeks ago, was it just two weeks ago, we hosted a conference here in this very space called Mission on a Bino, a bunch of uh, really cool church planners from around the country. One of the pastors who was with us is a man named Christopher Robbins, which is kind of funny in and of itself. He, um, when he introduced himself, he said, yeah, my name is Christopher Robbins, and uh, I met, I met uh, Preston, this other guy in the Hundred Acre Woods, and everybody <laughs> went down, but... Anyway, Chris is a pastor in San Francisco, and a huge part of his ministry is ministering to gay men. It's a big, big part of what he does. And he told us, he gave a talk about ministering to people who struggle with same-sex attraction. And he told a story, and I might start crying now, here we go. He told a story about ministering to a particular man, uh, this was some time ago. The man was sharing his struggles with him, and Chris looked at him in the eye and he said, you know what, I actually think that underneath all of you know the the sin struggles that we've been talking about is actually this deep longing within you for companionship for friendship okay with another man or with other men and it's not actually fundamentally at bottom sexual and it's not fundamentally at bottom sinful at all it's actually deeply good and the man just broke down and began weeping right there in front of him. So often that's the case with the sin that we get caught up in, whatever the nature of it, that at the root of it is not, um, uh, it's not necessarily lust, but loneliness. Okay? There's this deep, deep longing for friendship. Okay? That's what we're going to look into a little this morning. So we're going to begin with 3 John. This, we're going to kind of cast the anchor in, in there in Third John, and then we're going to weigh anchor and, and move a little more freely and talk about Christian friendship. But we'll begin there with Third John. So if you open up your, uh, your booklet there, take a look at it. I'll give you a little context. Um, you know, we picked this letter because it's the one time, uh, really in the whole Bible, that Christians are called the friends. Okay? Uh, we're often brothers and sisters, right? Or the body of Christ. And here... The friends. The friends greet you. So John, elderly old man, Apostle John, is writing this letter, and he's overseeing a group of churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he's writing this letter to a man named Gaius, which is, it was like Jim or John in the ancient Roman world, just a very normal name, Gaius. He was probably a pastor uh, of, a, of a local community somewhere in Asia Minor, and this is just a letter that, you know, kind of Apostle John, overseer, is writing to Gaius, pastor, you know, one of his underlings, if you will, someone that he's overseeing. Okay? And yet it's one of the most tender pieces in all the New Testament. Okay? So I just want to know two things about it. First of all, if you just, you just kind of scan through the letter, you see pretty much verse after verse the open and tender affection that John has for Gaius. John calls him his beloved four times in the letter. Next time I get an email from Dave, it's going to have beloved like four times in it now to the seven, right? Beloved four times. Right away, straight away, he announces, beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Okay? He prays for Gaius' blessing and body, and he delights in the well-being of his soul. He cares about him. He rejoices that Gaius, one of his dear children, is faithful to the truth of the gospel in both creed 
and in conduct. An echo of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. If you skip down to verses 13 and 14, you see at the end, John kind of wrapping up, just saying, look, letter writing doesn't really cut it. I want to be with you. I miss you. I want to be present with you so that we can talk face to face. John loves Gaius. They're friends. Secondly, though, if we just look at the substance of the letter, who's Demetrius? Who's Diotrephes? Who are these people? What's going on? There's basically two substantive matters that John addresses in the letter, and they both have have to do with the relational well-being of the church that Gaius is overseeing. They have to do with friendship. In verses 5 to 8, he commends Gaius basically for being a master friend. He commends him for welcoming these missionary preachers into the church, probably people sent by John to the church there. And he commends him because even though they were strangers to Gaius, he didn't know them, Gaius quickly received them as friends because of their shared love for Jesus Christ. So much so that when the missionaries made their way back to John, it says, verse 6, that they bore witness to Gaius' love. But then in verses 9 to 10, John has to tack the other direction and deal not with now with this master friend, but with someone who's this antisocial, selfish person, Diotrephes. Okay? He likes to put himself first in order to secure himself against threats to his self-appointed place in the community. He causes tons of trouble, right? He rejects John's authority as an apostle. He gossips about John behind his back. He stirs up trouble. He refuses to welcome John's missionary friends into the church, and in fact, he thrusts them out. So we have the tale of of two very different approaches to friendship in the church. One exemplary in Gaius, and the other exemplary of what absolutely not to be and do, right, in Diotrephes. He is doing the best he can to destroy the church because he's a bad friend who cares nothing about others and everything about himself and his place. But Gaius builds up the church in truth and love because he excels in the art of spiritual friendship. And John's basic, you know, you do a kind of 30,000 foot overview, his basic admonition to Gaius is, put Diotrephes in his place. (laughs) Keep telling Gaius to keep up, you know, Gaius, keep up the good work. And by the way, I deeply love you, and I can't wait till we hang out again. That's the whole letter. We could take from it this big picture idea. Friendship isn't some optional add-on to Christianity or to the Christian life or to the church. It's actually the heart of the matter itself, which thank you, Rusty and Rusty's group, for being the vivid, beautiful object lesson for this morning, right? I think anyone who's not connected to a community group probably knows where they want to plug in right, right now. After seeing, just seeing that love, seeing that friendship this morning, it was beautiful. All right. Friendship, spiritual friendship. Three points this morning. First of all, okay, for Christianity, reality, everything that exists, ultimately, is about friendship, or it just is friendship. Explain what I mean in a second. Secondly, friendship for us is a gracious reality in Jesus Christ. 
It's a gift. And then thirdly, again, tacking the other way, friendship is really hard work, but it's worth it. Three points, and then we're out of here. Okay, to begin, Christianity, for Christianity, if Christianity is true, which I think it is, um, in a unique way compared to every other philosophy, every other religion, for Christianity, reality is all about friendship. Okay? And we know this is true in the first place because of what we believe about God. Um, the burning bush, you remember the story? Acts chapter 3. The name of the true and the living God is I am, right? Moses asked, what is your name? I am. God is, I'm, I am the one who is. Everything else compared to me is nothing, but I am the one who is. I'm the only one who's actually, ultimately, and perfectly real. Okay. As an old pastor named Hillary once said, our God, this living and true God who appeared to Moses and said, I am reality. Okay. Our God is not solitary. Right? He's not alone, because our God is love. Because our God isn't a nondescript oneness. Okay? It's not a nondescript absolute that's out there somewhere, or a kind of vague force pervading the cosmos. Our God has a name, and his name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay? Our God actually is love, as John says. Our God actually is the great friendship. The great lover and the father, the eternally beloved in the son. And then the love that they share being so perfectly and completely real and full and rich and alive that their love isn't an it, it's a he, it's a person, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Think about that for a second. The one who is, the one who is really real, the one com compared to whom all the nations are as dust on the scales and drops in the bucket. And all people, Isaiah says, are like grasshoppers. I love that. This one is the father rejoicing in his son and the son dancing for joy before his father. And if you think I'm taking liberties here, it's just Proverbs 8, verse 30. It's all there, okay? It's the father rejoicing in the son and the son dancing for joy before his father and the spirit completing the perfection of their joy and their peace and their friendship, okay? The ultimate reality, God, is the great friendship, okay? If we then go from, from who God is to what he has done for us, we begin with the creation of the world and the creation of humanity as the pinnacle of creation, Chris preached on this, I think, last fall, way earlier in the series. He didn't make us neutered beings. <laughs> he made us male and female in his image. Why? So that his okay, being 
as Father, Son, and Spirit, His being as this perfect love, this perfect friendship would be imaged, would be reflected in a little creaturely way in us. So that being for someone else, so that existing with another person in perfect friendship, in perfect peace, in perfect love is actually built into our bodies as male and as female, okay? created in the image and after the likeness of God. Because we are made in the image of the happy trinity, there's this longing for friendship, there's this longing to know and to be known, that longing that was in Christopher Robin's friend that I was talking about before, right? This longing that is in the deep place in every single one of us this morning, it is written into the fabric of our being. We were created for friendship. It is not good for us to be alone. Okay. If we go from creation to redemption, one of the most beloved verses in this church, I know, for Jesus is Luke chapter 7, verse 34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. Chris is the pastor of eating and drinking now, by the way. Okay. The Son of Man who came eating and drinking is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's the friend. Okay. He's the one who came to make friends with sinners, to people who were estranged from God, people who were alienated from God, people who were actually hostile towards God because of sin. He came to make peace. Okay. In this man, the friend of sinners, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making friends again, by the blood of his cross. Okay. So then we go all the way up to the heights and thinking about who God is, his Father, Son, and Spirit, or whether we think about our creation in the image of God, okay, made for relationship, made for friendship, or we think about the gospel itself and what Jesus Christ has done for us, okay, coming to be our friend and to overcome our own opposition to him and to bring us back into peace and friendship with God. For Christians, in an utterly unique way, literally everything, everything, is about friendship. It's not just an optional add-on. It's not just something kind of at the periphery that's an interesting topic or something. It's the heart of the matter itself. And the further we're isolating ourselves, the, the more we're distancing ourselves from friendship, we're standing apart, the less and less real we're becoming, the more and more in the shadowlands we're wandering, and vice versa, when we turn in repentance towards God and when we turn in love towards one another, the more and more real and alive we're becoming. Okay. Point two. Friendship is a gracious reality in Jesus Christ. What do I mean? I mean basically two things. First of all, it's a gift. Friendship is a gift that we receive without earning it or having to earn it. And secondly, it's real. Whether we feel it or not, in any given moment, it's real. Okay? And this is true for both our friendship with God and our friendships with other people in his body. First of all, 
our friendship with God, reconciliation with God, isn't a project for us to work on. Our friendship with God always is something that we grow in, and perhaps we'll even grow in deeper and deeper for all of eternity. But the fact that we have been made friends with God, the fact that we have been reconciled to God, that matter has been settled. That matter was settled for us 2,000 years ago, according to Romans chapter 5, where Paul says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We became friends again with God by the death of his son. That matter has been settled for us, all of us who are in Jesus Christ, all of us who believe in God the Father through his son, we have been made his friends again, and it is done. Okay? And we don't have to live in fear of losing that friendship. The matter is done. We have been reconciled to God. It may not always seem like it, but friendship with others in the church, friendship with other brothers and sisters in the church, is a gracious reality of the gospel, too. It's a gift, and it's real. Again, whether we feel it or not. When God calls me to faith in his son, when God adopts us as his kids, he welcomes us into his family. I'm ripped out of the dying humanity of Adam and I'm baptized into the many-membered body of the living one, Jesus Christ. I'm given a place to belong. That place is called church. And as long as I remain a sinner redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, this blood-washed band of, sorry guys, but here's the truth, of dropouts and losers and sinners and failures and fools, to quote, Switchfoot. Chris quotes fancy pants theologians. I quote Switchfoot, okay? <laughs> this band of dropouts and losers and sinners and failures and fools washed by the blood of Jesus, this is my home. This is the place where I fit in. This is the place where I belong. Okay. David says in Psalm 16, as for the saints in the land, that's you guys, me too. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Okay. Doesn't matter if some are rich and some are poor, some are clever and some are dull, some are white, some are black, some are foodies and some are barbarians from Green Bay. Okay. <laughs> Jesus washed us clean in his blood. That means we are saints. That means we are friends. Okay. And the key to all this is that Jesus is the mediator, not only between we sinful people and the holy God, but also between us. Okay. You see this in the story of David and Jonathan. At one point, Jonathan turns to David, and he says, the Lord is between you and me forever. Okay. The Lord stands between us. We don't just have a direct relationship. Okay. We have an intimate relationship, 
but it's not a direct one because someone stands between Jonathan and David. Someone stands between them to mediate. It's the Lord. The Lord Jesus himself, who is our peace, is the man who stands between people who on a natural plane are strangers to one another or maybe even at odds with one another, and he makes friendship possible. Because when we kneel before God, all of the differences that seem so important when we're not kneeling before God, they vanish. They're all swallowed up by the overwhelming fact that we are lost sinners in desperate need of forgiveness and new life through Jesus. And because we actually have experienced that grace, we have in common the most important reality of all. We have not just an experience of him, but this man himself, the living one, standing between us, okay, mediating between us, okay, making friends. Okay. I don't know if you've experienced this before, but Lisa and I recently, more and more actually, these kind of moments where we step back, and it's, it's strange, but we realize that a friendship in Christ, some friendship in the church, another believer, is, is really rich and deep and abiding. And then we think about a, maybe a friendship in our, in our natural family, okay? in our extended family, or a friendship with someone that we used to be really close to 15 years ago. And then a lot of things have happened in the last 15 years. And by grace alone, God's led us on a path where we've been following him. We've been pursuing the Lord. He has been pursuing us. And maybe our friend who we were so close to 15 years ago has taken another path. And there's still this affection, but there's also this strange distance that's entered in. Right? And yet, maybe we meet a Christian like this man, Christopher Robbins, again. Uh, from this conference. We meet someone that we've, we've only known for an hour or two, and yet because we're both in Christ, because we both know what it means to be a sinner who is lost, and we both know what it means to be someone who's been redeemed by the costly blood of Jesus and to be given hope and peace and a future together in Jesus Christ. Because of that, when we meet another Christian, we're meeting an old friend for the first time. Because the only thing that actually matters is him, Jesus. Okay. All friendship is built on holding something in common, right? Okay. We, we just kind of naturally gravitate towards people of the same interests as us, the same passions as us, maybe the same histories as us, maybe the same skin color as us, maybe the same socioeconomic status as us. And then Jesus comes into all of that and he just shatters it. So that now, people who, for a billion different reasons, wouldn't really make sense for them to hang out. Because they're in Christ, because Christ is in them, become friends. Friendship is a gracious reality for us in Christ. It's also really hard work. That might seem like a paradox, okay? Wait, is friendship a gift? 
Or is friendship really hard work? Yes. Okay. Yes. But if you thought about it, that's actually just the whole Christian life works that way. Right? The whole Christian life pretty much boils down to us becoming what we already are. The Paul says, you have died with Jesus Christ. You have been raised with Jesus Christ. Therefore, sit on your duff and enjoy it. Right? No, he says, therefore, put to death everything that's still in you that's from the old Adam. Kill it before it kills you. And take hold of new life in Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's really the same thing when it comes to friendship to spiritual friendship in the Lord. We've been given it. Okay? Just, as, just as in our natural family, we're born into. We don't choose to be born, and we certainly don't choose the siblings that we get, right? Okay? Don't tell my brothers and my sister I said that. But we, but we don't. We just, we just get them. Okay? So it is in this family, in Jesus Christ, okay? that by his grace we've been born into, and we're just given these people. And yet at the same time, we need to work at okay, the art of friendship. That's what I want to press into now a little bit. How do we actually do that? How do we pursue deep friendship, not just superficial pleasantness, but deep friendship in Christ? Okay. Uh, in a nutshell, we start sharing everything. That's the, that's the short version. We start sharing things. In the first place, we start actually sharing things. Stuff. Possessions. Food. Money. Books. We welcome others to our table and we share food and drink. We provide a place to stay for the night. Or maybe for the month. Or maybe for a couple months. We lend a hand with a renovation project. We pay the rent for a month. We give a thoughtful gift. Okay. We can afford to do this freely because the riches of the mediator who stands between are endless. Okay. We start to share our stories with one another. Okay. We listen to our friends' stories. And we don't just listen waiting our turn to speak. We actually listen, right? And, but then we do speak. We share our stories. And as trust deepens, we start to fill in more of the details, right? And maybe leave a couple things out at first. And then we start to, we start to fill things in a little bit. And as that happens, we become trusted caretakers of our friends' details, too. Okay? And we do this safely because we're not just meeting directly we, we have someone standing in between. We have a mediator, and he is our righteousness. We start to share, and even, the, even you know, everybody in this room starts to share our feelings, right? Okay. We start to open up about what's really going on. Okay. We share our griefs. We share our joys, we share our fears, we share our hopes. In particular, we begin to share 
the, the weakness that actually is hidden inside of each and every one of us, but which normally we do such a good job shield, you know, protecting. And we start to open up and share that. And we can dare to do it again because the mediator who stands between was stripped naked and crucified. We share the word of God with one another. We speak the word into one another's lives. Sometimes it might have to be a hard word, a word of the law. Brother, repent. <laughs> Brother, don't do that. Chris has had to do this to me before. Okay? And it's so good when that happens. It stinks, but it's so good. Okay? Sometimes it's a word of grace in the gospel. Brother, <clears throat> you know that's not actually true. The truth is Jesus Christ. The truth is that you have been forgiven. The truth is that you belong to him. We need one another to speak the word into our lives. And we have that in Christ. And we can do it without presumption because the mediator who stands between is the word himself made flesh. Okay? And when we take courage to speak the word to someone else, okay, we do it not as the... Uh, as the representative of someone who's very, very far away, like we're just doing his work for him, but we do it trusting that Jesus Christ is actually there with us, speaking into our friend's life. Okay. We start to share, uh, ready for this? We start to share authority over our life. We start to share authority over big decisions <clears throat> in life. Like, should I take this job or should I not? Should I move to this city or should I stay here? Okay. We don't like that at all. And I think it's a big part of why, we were talking about earlier on in the sermon, why friendship is such a rare thing today. I think is that we instinctively sense that friendship poses a huge threat to our autonomy, right? And that's right, it does, okay? It's a huge threat to our autonomy, okay? When we actually enter into deep covenantal relationships with one another, a great example of this would be marriage, right? Talk about an autonomy killer, okay? And yet because we're in Christ, we know that to lose our autonomy is actually to gain true freedom. You'll never lose anything for Jesus that you won't gain much, 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 much more for in return for that loss. Okay. <laughs> we can do this. We can afford to do this. We can actually share authority over our lives with other people because, again, the mediator stands between, and he's the one who's really in control after all, isn't he? Last of all, certainly not least, but it runs through all the other things, we have to share our time. We're going to cultivate friendship. Okay? I hear Chris exhorting us to this repeatedly, particularly to, to married people. Okay? We, can get, we can get so inwardly focused on maybe on my spouse or on my kids and the immediate family. Okay? You say, well, we just don't have time to really commit to that other family and friendship. We don't have time to welcome this single person in the church into our lives. Well, yeah, you actually do. It's worth it. 
but you're going to have to give something up. Okay? But when you do, you'll get something back even better and even bigger. Okay? And again, you don't have anything to lose because the mediator stands in between and he's the eternal son of God. He's got plenty of time for you. We start sharing these things, and we share them more and more and more. Our friendships with one another deepen and enrich and get richer and fuller and truer. And as that happens, really without even noticing it, we become richer and truer and fuller people. We become more and more alive. Three charges to wrap up. First of all, to people who are super engaged in friendship in the church. Okay? People who are really plugged into a community group. People who are really actively, proactively seeking out friendship with one another. Friends, press on. Okay? It's, it's hard work sometimes. Keep, keep at it. Dive deeper. Okay? And in particular, I just say, don't be afraid to widen the circle. Part of, part of we can get into a trick where we start thinking, you know what, we've got this nice kind of group here, but if, if we let this other person in, it's going to change the dynamics, right? I'm not going to have quite the same position anymore. Maybe friend X is going to start liking friend Y more, and I'm, right? Okay. But because all of this, again, is this kind of faint but real and beautiful reflection of this perfect love that God actually is, and because there's no limit to his love, you always have room for another friend in the circle. You always have room for another person at the table. Okay. So widen the circle. Invite another friend to the table. To the disconnected, okay? People like Chris and me who aren't in a community group, right? Okay. Engage. If you're, if you're, if you're kind of introverted and you, and you are alone, take courage, take a risk, okay. go for it. Okay. Uh, maybe just go up to someone and ask them to get lunch after church today. Okay. Plug into a community group. For example, Rusty's. They're, they're losing a couple people, right? So they need, <laughs> it's a great opportunity. But maybe even before you do either of those things, try to, try to go deep just with yourself a little bit and figure out, so why, why have I gotten in this isolated place? Why, why am I alone? What's going on with that? And, and no joke, don't try to figure out your isolation on your own. Okay? Take, take a risk of grabbing a friend or someone who maybe you hope could be a friend okay? and try to figure it out together. Okay? You won't regret it. Okay, to everyone, including me, I have to get a, a job plug in here a little bit. Okay. Friends, we need to be pursuing missional friendship. Okay? When it comes to mission, the single biggest asset that we have as a church is you. Each and every single one of you, and the friendships that you're already in with people who are not yet in Christ, and the friendships that you could start with your literal neighbor, perhaps, okay? 
um, or the barista that you see every morning when you get your coffee, whoever it may be. Okay. Every single person that we bump into, every person that we snub, <clears throat> every person that we walk past on the other side of the road, okay, has that aching inside of them to be known and to know, to be loved and to love, to come into friendship, ultimately with God. And because you have the gospel, you have the great friendship secret to unlock the mysteries of the entire universe. Okay. So go for it. Okay. Love your neighbors, like not in an, extract, an, an abstract way, but actually just love them. Okay. And eventually you'll be loving them into the kingdom. Because what's going to happen is they're going to know. See, you're all afraid of evangelism, right? Because you think that what that means is that someone will teach you four spiritual laws, you will go out, punch someone in the face, and then bring them to church, right? <laughs> okay. But it doesn't have to work like that. In fact, it probably won't work like that. Um, you start to befriend your neighbor, and maybe after six months, maybe after six years, your neighbor is starting to see there is something very strange, very strange, about Preston. I mean, we all know that already anyway, but, and yet there's something that's so beautiful about him. What is that? What is going on in this weird family? Why have these two families bought a house together? That's very strange. And yet it's very beautiful and it's kind of disarming. And I kind of want to figure it out. And then eventually it's naturally, oh, well, actually it's because there's this other man who lives in the house too. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And I would like to introduce you to him. Okay? That's the way, that's the way that real evangelism has always worked. And it's the way it's going to work now. And it's going to work. It's going to work. Do we have time for coming to the table or do I need to be done? Briefly? Yeah. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood? of Jesus Christ. The bread that we break is not a participation in the body of Christ. And then he says this, because there's one bread, you have to imagine that there's one because there's actually all these pieces, right? But because there's one loaf of bread, we who are many are one body because we all partake of the one bread. As we come to the Lord's Supper today, come, come bringing friendship to the supper. Okay? Come bringing uh, everything that is rich and full in your, in your life as a friend and Come thankfully, rejoicing. Come bringing all of the hurt and the pain and the fear that is there. And come, come hopeful that Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, is actually going to meet you personally now through this sacrament and that he's going to knit you together with your friends here in this church. And he's going to send you out with power to grow in his grace and love. To his name be all glory forever. Amen.